Welcome to Board Game Famous, the board game podcast that chronicles two brothers and some friends as they journey to board game fame. I'm your host, David, and I'm joined, as always, with my co-hosts, Michael. Howdy, howdy. And Jesse. Hey, y'all. Reunited, and it feels so good. We are back, baby! (laughs) Wow, it's been a minute since all three of us have been in the same room. Or virtual room. <laughs> virtual room. I was going to say. In the same room. <laughs> I've never seen Jesse and I in the same room, so we could be the same person. Uh, he's oh. coming to Thanksgiving. <laughs> Jesse, you're coming to Thanksgiving? <laughs> it's new to me. <laughs> they said I'm allowed one carry on, so I'm carrying you on. Uh, yes. Bad, bad news is you have to fit underneath the seat. <laughs> oh. Because you're considered a personal item, actually. <laughs> Always a personal item. <laughs> That's how most of my friends describe me. <laughs> Since it's unusual for all of us to be together, I thought we'd start unusually with Brother Talk, the part of the show where we talk about whatever we feel like. And this, uh, this fortnight, I wanted to talk about rating board games. I have a few questions that I wanted to go through and get your guys' thoughts and opinions on them and then maybe start rating games on our podcast because for me, when I'm watching a board game video, sometimes I like to watch through all the rules and sometimes I just skip to the rating to see if it's worth even paying attention to. I guess my first question is, do you guys pay attention to board game ratings at all? I definitely look at ratings because when you go to BGG... There is one big number there at the top, usually in a hexagon, that, that spells out the community community consensus of a board game. And I will, would be lying if I said that I did not take that into consideration. But, compared to other forms of media, I don't take it into as much serious consideration as, you know, like a video game or a movie. Like, if I see a video game... I expect it to be like a 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10, 8 out of 10. Anything less than that, I don't want to play for a video game. It's probably not a good video game. Board board games are weird. (laughs) 7s and 8s are where it's at. 7 and 8s are where it's at. I can't remember the last time I saw a 10 on BGG. It's interesting that you bring that up. So you're talking about the average user rating? Or the so Board Game Geek has two kind of ratings for their games. They've got the average user rating and then their weighted ranking. And their weighted ranking is basically just to stop somebody putting up whatever random garbage game they've been working on, rating it a ten and it's shooting up to the top. I'm uh, talking so about whatever number shows up in the hexagon. That's the you... weighted ranking. Correct. And there is nothing on Board Game Geek that is nine or above with that weighted ranking. The number one game is an eight point something. Right, I think Gloomhaven <laughs> is eight point seven right now. Yeah, it used to be. A, it used to be at nine, and, and I remember seeing that going. That is a big deal. What about you, Jesse? Do you do you uh, do you pay attention to any board game ratings? Yes, I do, especially when I'm looking to buy a new game that has already been released and uh, that I did not kickstart, then I'm looking at ratings. And also a lot of times I look at ratings after playing a game. Like if someone else brings a game to my game night and I try it out and I'm like trying to process my thoughts and feelings about the game, I then go on there and see like, what did other people rate it and what did they say about their rating of it? And a lot of times I'm like, yes, I did notice that or I didn't think about that that way. It's just a way for me to kind of clarify my own thoughts. So that's the context in which I'm paying attention to ratings a lot of times. What about you, David? I definitely agree with Michael that board games are weird. Uh, You don't need that highest rated board game. Especially on Board Game Geek, it typically skews towards heavier euros if you look at the top 100 there's a lot of heavy euros in there and that's not going to be the best place to look as a resource if you're just getting into board gaming so whenever i'm in the store and a game looks good and the mechanisms look interesting to me i pull up the board game geek page and i'm just looking for a seven that is my sweet spot for a board game if it's at a seven i'm like perfect i'm gonna love this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Look, I don't need I don't need the highest rated game of all time, though though I do have it because it's Gloomhaven. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the, one of the interesting things is you know we're talking about six, sevens, eights, nines, and ten, but what we do on this podcast 
and what other more famous English people do on their <laughs> platform is they have more of a binary system. The way that their binary system works is different than the way that our binary system works. And if you have not figured it out, I am referring to shut up and sit down. They have the shut up and sit down pair recommends. Some board games put that on their packaging because it carries some weight. Some will put ours on the packaging at some point. Sometime soon, I can feel it. <laughs> it's going to be us at a bo- at your friendly local board game store. <laughs> I'm just slapping stickers on them. <laughs> Our, ours is more of a, not only do we recommend this game, but we hold it to high regards. But yeah, you know, there's, you know, there's that out of 10 ranking that we see on BGG. And then we have that binary system. But... No, I like Shut Up and Sit Down, but I like them not necessarily for their verdict with whether or not they recommend or they don't recommend. I just think Shut Up and Sit Down, and I find this important in a lot of reviews, are very, very good about describing how it's going to feel to play this game. And so while ratings are important, I value reviews that can describe what it's going to be like, the feeling of what it's going to be like to play this game. Okay, so looking at the BGG 10-point rating scale, I think actually knowing what it means helps make sense of it because y'all are saying, like, we never see any 10s on there. But have y'all actually read, like, from the BGG wiki or anywhere else, like, what those different numbers actually delineate? I have. I do not recall them, but I feel like you're about to enlighten us. (laughs) Look, I don't want to read you a whole wiki page, but here's the gist of it. A 10 is outstanding, will always enjoy playing and expect this will never change. A 9 is excellent, always enjoy playing it. 8, very good, enjoy playing and would suggest it. When you start dropping down like a 5 is average, slightly boring, take it or leave it. 3 is bad, likely won't play this again. And a 1 is awful defies game description and so when you think about it like it makes sense that most games are scoring sevens and eights because yeah like this game is good and i might suggest it but it's not necessarily excellent or outstanding i will i expect to enjoy it forever and going back to gloomhaven they do have a picture on this wiki i I pulled it up i'm sorry i was cooking dinner whenever you sent us this wiki so i didn't read it before recording but as an example for gloomhaven what we were talking about the highest rated game on BGG, it is. it has somewhere over 20,000 votes on it, 20,000 ratings, and only 11,000 are 10s. And so only 11,000. That's yeah, still 11, over half. That's still yeah. good. <laughs> That's yeah. still real good. I want to jump back to what you were talking about a little bit, Michael. Talking about how to respond to both the binary system and getting to know reviewers. One of the things I respect about getting to know reviewers and their rating systems, because it's important to understand what the rating system means, but you can find a board game reviewer that you disagree with and still a- still be able to use their rating scale. Just invert it in your head. I remember one board gamer, one, one reviewer was talking about how he hated this game and I immediately went out and bought it because I knew Ellen would love it. <laughs> I was like, he just, he had a major complaint about it. I was like, yeah, Ellen's going to love this one. <laughs> Let's go get it. And then, what was the other thing? The, the binary thing. Talking about how our our uh, Board Game Famous Award is binary. It is, but that was one of the reasons I kind of wanted to talk about rating of games. Because I gave Carcassonne, the Board Game Famous, uh, gold star. I would rate Carcassonne a 6 out of 10. It was, it's fine. But that is probably the lowest that I would give <laughs> the board game famous gold star award too. I cannot deny Carcassonne's influence in the hobby, the amount of people that it's brought in, how much people love it. I, I see it. And Plus I, the I, expansion nights and ends makes it just that much more of a, of an amazing game. <laughs> right. But you would say it's just, okay, you will play it if you're in the mood. Exactly. <laughs> Which is a six. Yeah, that is, that is something with, uh, with the out of 10 ranking, people were like, oh, seven? That's just fine. No, seven's really good. 
Five is just fine. Uh, five is pretty bad. Five is okay. Five is like, uh, I don't have to is. play it. I, I am trying to think of a five on BGG that I've enjoyed playing. No, I'm not saying you enjoy playing it. I mean, like, that's, it's fine. That's the thing. It's not. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm trying to think of a, uh, of a five on BGG that I was mid on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the absolute mid game I've ever played is the Court of Miracles. It was like eating bland oatmeal. It will sustain <laughs> you for a time. <laughs> and then I was just done. I was like, okay, I guess we did that. I didn't hate it. Didn't like it. It's the Wimbus bread of board games. It really was for me. <laughs> All right, I, I want to move on to something. We've been we've been skating over a lot of the questions that I've been having. So, like, what kind of rating systems do you like best? Five out of five, out of ten. Heavy cardboard. Shout out to heavy cardboard. Does their rating out of six? That's kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> I prefer the I prefer the ten point scale because it gives me a little more granularity. I I prefer the binary recommends versus not recommending as long as it has an explanation of why okay because at the end of the day there are hundreds of board games and i will not be able to play a lot of them and the question is whenever i'm talking to you whenever i'm talking to jesse whenever i'm talking to all the other people i play board games with or a random person i meet at a store i'm like hey how do you feel about this game would you recommend it and why (laughs) Those are the questions I'm going to ask someone. Okay. I like a little more nuance. I like a 10-point scale, and not only that, I like decimals to the 10th of the point. You might um, as well just do the 100-point scale at that point. <laughs> well, yes, essentially, but because BGG is on a 10-point scale, I appreciate when people like go into a more detailed review. I was searching and searching for some that I was like, I've seen these before where people have their complicated rubrics. Look, I'm a teacher. I appreciate a rubric so I can know (laughs) how I'm going to be judged. There was a user who rated Root. Their their username was Seamonster, and they rated Root out of product for 25 points where each of their things was worth five points like components and theme and art and then graphic design times two and (laughs) gameplay out of 50 and other out of 25 and then bonus points and i'm like yes that's so complex and nuanced like that's helpful but then they didn't write as many words so i was like "Hmm." (laughs) oh yeah i'm i'm a one one paragraph or less kind of guy All right, I've got another question on on a different uh, and on taking a look at uh, ratings from a little bit of a different view. How many times do you think you need to play a game before you can rev- uh, before you can give it a rating? I think you are pretty sure you know when the game is bad, and I think there are some times whenever you know a game is good. But the question is how good. And for my system, it's recommend versus not recommend, and you can find that out pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So I don't worry about those 7.6s and 5.973s with 2.4 bonus points. <laughs> <laughs> so when I said uh, before the podcast started recording, we're going to rate these games afterwards, are you just going to recommend while Jesse and I give them out of 10? <laughs> You're just going to be different? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I think... Three plays is probably a fair number to to give a reasonable assessment. I think oftentimes your first play, you may be biased higher or lower than you would be after later plays. So I think I think having a few plays under your belt definitely helps to solidify a fair rating after some thought. I mean, a lot of times you'll see on there people will do their initial rating and then they'll change their rating after a second play play and sometimes you see them like after eight plays i hate this game or whatever (laughs) Uh, or they love it all of a sudden i think it depends to who you're playing with and the context and the timing so i think just having removing it from that single play i think is helpful yeah i agree with both of you especially with once if you know it's bad you know it's bad mainly because i'd (laughs) like to say three is a minimum but i've only played the worst game i've ever played twice so (laughs) i got it off of the i got it off of the only played once tried it again oh this this is garbage one one out of (laughs) ten i wasn't just crazy (laughs) 
Yeah, I agree. Like, there are some games I'm never going back to that I would comfortably rate a one or a two and not feel guilty about. Mm -hmm. Who wants to play a terrible game with me so we can rate it? I mean, I, I wouldn't mind that. Like, I, as long as I know I'm playing a terrible game going into it. I haven't been yeah. able to play uh, Merchants of Amsterdam again because <gasps> I keep selling it. I keep I keep selling it like this, which is who wants to play a game that is way better than it looks. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> like, it looks. Who wants to play a game that is way worse than it sounds? <laughs> <laughs> it looks really bad. So it's only it's all right. It's uh, it's all right. I might give it a five point five. Just a reminder, you know, I feel like our system. The board game famous Walk of Fame Gold Star Award, or how many superlatives we want to use to describe it. It's just describing outstanding games for whatever reason. Not necessarily the games you need to play. <laughs> like Nevermore. That didn't win the award. We're still going to play it. Oh, yeah. Jesse owns a copy of it, and we've never played it. <laughs> once? We played it once? Yeah. Oh, well, we played it once. <laughs> this is the benefit of logging games. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's time for What You've Been Playing, the part of the show that doesn't really have an intro because it's always first and we're doing things a little out of order today. So, Michael, what you been playing? Oh, boy. Have I been playing board games. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> This weekend, Jesse and I were at a board game fundraising event. We got to play a game that I have played multiple times with our board gaming group, but we played with one of the expansions. Ooh. And that is Power Grid, designed by Friedman Fries. Excellent pronunciation. Published by 2F Spiel and 20 more depending on where you live. <laughs> in America, it's Rio Grande, I think. Uh, in America, it's Rio Grande. <laughs> to all of our American listeners, go buy it from Rio Grande. <laughs> to everyone else, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is an oldie, but a goodie. It came out in, can you believe it? Yes, you can, if you've seen the artwork. 2004. <laughs> <laughs> I, I uh, like the cover. Oh my goodness, it's actually of a game that is nearly two decades old. It is probably one of the more timeless artworks uh, out there. It's not, definitely not modern in any sense of board game design, but it is very, very nice. In this game, you are playing as different power companies. And in the standard map, you are in Germany, because that's where he's from. But in this expansion map, and we play with alternate rules, we are in the Indian subcontinent. So it's interesting to play somewhere else for once. So it's an auction slash bidding game where you, every turn you bid on a series of power plants, and then you buy resources to power those power plants. And throughout time, the power plants that are available for auction get better and better and more efficient and can power more and more homes. And the goal at the end of the game is to have uh, powered the most communities. So in this game, you have to balance, like during the auction phase, purchasing a power plant for a good price, but still having enough money to buy resources to power those power plants. You have various types of resources like trash, coal, oil, and nuclear power, uh, and some green energy sources. And the thing that was interesting about... Uh, Indian subcontinent expansion is you buy resources one at a time. So you buy one coal and then the next person buys a resource and then you buy another resource and you buy another resource. And so it, it's slow and methodical, but you have to be very calculating of, I want to buy oil for this power plant at this time. And I want to buy uranium for this power plant at this time. So I can minimize the costs based on what people have. And if you cumulatively, expand too fast you expand into too many communities then you guys have a brownout and everybody makes less money you're very limited on your purchasing power during the resource buying phase and 
you're basically holding a gun to everyone's head. Everyone's holding a gun to everyone's head not to expand too fast or everybody loses. <laughs> <laughs> and so you tried to be uh, very strategic about that. And I thought it was a very interesting twist on the original game. I, I felt like the original game was just a sprint to the finish. You make you get the best power plants, you expand as fast as possible, you power all of them, you get a, a bunch of money, and then you keep going, you keep going, you keep going, keep going. And this really limits you, and you have to be a lot more careful about your your expansion so you don't lose out. <laughs> and uh, I thought, I, didn't, I wouldn't say necessarily balance the game, but it definitely changed the game feel of it, but it was still really fun. So, Michael, what would you rate it? recommends <laughs> <laughs> so jesse what have you been playing i got a chance to get seasons to the table not too long ago it is a also an oldie but a goodie it is a 2012 release from designer regie bonasse published by libelude and it is a game in which mages compete across 12 seasons to collect crystals and become the new archmage there's a lot of card drafting and dice drafting in this game. You draft cards at the beginning of the game and put them into your personal library to release over the course of the seasons. And then you draft dice every round to to gather elements and crystals that you can use and to increase your summon engage. You use those resources to summon your magic items that benefit you and familiars that affect your opponents. This used to be one of my favorite games and playing it recently i found it's still a good game is it as good as i remember it being not necessarily but it's still very good this is one of the first board games we played together if i remember correctly probably so probably (laughs) so probably before i logged games it's one that i've had in my collection long enough that i can teach it without like having to reteach myself, which I always appreciate that about a game. I played this with a group of friends who are gamers, and I made the mistake of saying, oh, they're gamers. I don't need to give them the beginning rules. I should have given them the beginning rules. It would have probably been more fun for them. The beginner rules are that you give each player a pre-constructed set of nine cards and that you only play with 60 cards from the game, like the 30 most basic cards with two copies of each. I did not take the time to sort out the cards and to remove the expansion cards. And I was just like, they're gamers. It'll be fine. They said it was a bit of a slog at the beginning and they felt like they didn't know what they were doing. And I don't know. I just, I I would not feel like I would want, if Michael was teaching me this game, I would not want to be like, you need kid gloves. You're a baby. But I think like, with this group, it might have been better and more fun for everyone had I done that. So I blame myself. Like so many card-centered games, I feel like this game really rewards multiple plays. So of course, if you've played it once or twice or 20 times, you're going to have an easier time of it. Um, Just like Terraforming Mars, if you know the cards, you're going to do better. So I guess the question comes down to what would I rate this game? What would you rate it? (laughs) Without a rubric, with just the feeling of Is it something I enjoy playing and would suggest? Is it something I'm usually willing to play? I think I'd put it somewhere between a 7 and an 8. Something I'm usually willing to play and might even suggest on occasion. Like maybe a 7, 5, 6 in that general section. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Um, David, what have you been playing lately? uh, Before you you ask that, I was just going to say that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say that Seasons has been on my radar for a while. I remember there was a lot of buzz that came out around Seasons. I think that was roughly when I entered the hobby is when Seasons came out. And it was the hotness for quite some time. People were like, have you played Seasons yet? I still haven't. It's been 10 years. There's just... It's a good game. Look, look. Why have you not played it? It's on BGA and it's a very good, like, implementation of it there. Because I don't play with strangers on BGA. I've played a couple of games. Maybe we should play later. Yeah, I'd definitely be down. Not not tonight. I'm busy. Yeah, not tonight. Okay, I gotta put a, I gotta put a baby to bed. Not tonight, because Michael has all life. <laughs> <laughs> so, David, what have you been playing lately? So, Michael, your game came out in 2002. Is that what you said? Four. 2004. Ah, oh, it would have been perfect because yours came out in 2012. My game came out in 2022. Sir. So, an oldie but a goodie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it came out earlier this year, so uh, it's already six months old. It's it's old. It's an old game at this point. <laughs> 
we're not even talking about it anymore. <laughs> it's it's older than your daughter. <laughs> I'm gonna, gonna pull up its page real quick. Uh, so this last weekend, I got a chance to play Decorum with some friends of mine. Now, Decorum is designed by Charlie Mackin, Harry Mackin, and Drew Tenenbaum, with the artist of Michael Mateko, and it's published by Floodgate Games. In Decorum, you are playing as roommates that all move into a house together, and you all want to decorate your house. But you have little rules that this is to make the house livable to you. You need to have red walls in the kitchen. It's what you want. You have to have a yellow lamp up in the bedroom because you have to have it your way. And... The game describes itself, like, literally on the box, the tagline is a passive-aggressive game of cohabitation. Decorum is a cooperative game where you are adding items to your house, removing items from your house, changing style, painting walls, to make the house cohesive so it fits everybody's rules for, uh, for being livable. And I can only describe it as... A cathartic experience where you finally get to play a board game and tell everybody exactly how you feel about their moves. Because immediately after somebody makes a change by painting a room or changing a lamp or or just mo- removing a wall, pa- uh, wall painting from the bedroom, you look at them and go, I hate it. It's ugly. You did something terrible. Put it back. I hate you. <laughs> it's just... It's like chicken soup for the cooperative board gamer's soul. Because normally in a cooperative game, you're trying to be together, you're trying to be nice, and somebody may make a mistake, and you don't want to ruin the time for everybody. So you just like, you hold it in and maybe go, oh, I wouldn't do that with, if I was you, but you also don't want to be a quarterback and take over the whole game, maybe. This is a cooperative deductive game. There's no quarterbacking, because you have no idea what their rules are. But maybe they paint a wall, and your rule is none of the walls can be green. So you they paint a wall green. You tell them, that's ugly. I hate it. And on your turn, you paint it back. It It is so much fun. I had an absolute blast with this. I will say that this only works with the right people, because some people don't take kindly to... Uh, to you telling them, oh, well, that was a dumb move. I hate what you just did. It's really ugly. And I'm talking about it like this. It's, it may seem mean that I'm saying, oh, I hate that. That's how the game is played. You make a change, and then every other player tells you to your face how they feel about it based on their rules for how the house has to be laid out. And it was it was an uproarious good time with with my group of friends that we played it with. I actually played it with a uh, listener of the show, Dakota. Shoutouts to Dakota. I, w- I actually had a different game slated for talking about this, but I just had so much fun playing Decorum with uh, with Dakota and his wife. It was hysterical. And we just got, it says passive aggressive. We got straight up aggressive by the end of the game. I, I remember, I think it was somebody put a blue lamp in a room and I was like, well, it's a good thing that blue lamp is on an end table that has drawers that I can keep my eyeballs in that I will carve out if you leave that blue lamp there. Would you recommend this game for many people based <sighs> on the way that you say that it's supposed to be played? Most of the people that I play games with, I would say yes. Would you play it with a group of strangers? <sighs> that is that is tough. I don't think I would ever play this with a group of strangers. <laughs> would I play it with my real life roommate? Maybe. I mean, I play it with, I've played it with my real-life roommate, my wife. <laughs> and she likes it, too. Should uh, we play with mom? <laughs> Our mom. My mom. <laughs> now, I do have a few problems with this game. Currently, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump up to... Currently, I rate this game an 8. I cannot wait to play this game again. But I think it's only going to go down from there. In the box comes with several different layouts, and each player gets a certain amount of rules. In a four-player game, each person gets three rules. In a three-player game, each person gets four rules. And that slight change means the game doesn't scale super well. And I don't exactly know why, but a three-player game is much harder than a four-player game. Um, 
So we, we were playing with three, and we ended up losing one of the scenarios because we played we played a level one. We beat it in... You, you have a time limit of 30 turns, and we think we beat it in like 10 moves. Then we played another level one, and we beat it in about seven moves. I was like, okay, let's jump up to a level two. And we lost because it was so... The, the rules got so difficult. And I hesitate to say that this is a good deduction game. Because those rules were so difficult, it was hard to pay attention to the moves players were making to see, to understand what their rule could have been. They were so, the, the rules were so nebulous. It's, there's a lot of different characteristics going on. So there's type of object, there's color of object, and there's style of object that people care about. So when they remove the yellow lamp, do they hate lamps? Do they hate yellow? Do they hate the style the lamp was? I don't know. And it's just too hard to keep into my mind. So so it's definitely... I, I can definitely see this one declining for me. But it is just... I mean, it's, it's almost better than therapy. Seeing somebody change a lamp and you just tell them to their face. I hate that. Um, now, this game isn't incredibly brutal because every every so often and in the game i think it's like every five turns you get to share one of your rules with another player so i I get to pass a rule to somebody and they'd go oh i see why you're doing this and in our play of the level two game there were several times players chose to pass rules to each other that compounded against each other so for example uh i had a rule that said I have to have the exact same number of retro objects and unique objects, and those are different characteristics. And another player passed me a an, a card that said, we can only have one retro object in the house. So I was like, okay, so now we know only one retro object and one unique object in the house because our rules combined like that. But it, it still wasn't, we, even though we shared rules five times throughout the game, it just wasn't enough with with the difficulty levels. But I can't stop thinking about this game, and I just want to play it some more. I, I don't care that we lost. It was just an uproarious good time. M- making, making changes to a house, yelling at each other, and having so much fun. You're bringing it to Thanksgiving? I think this episode's coming out after Thanksgiving, but you're bringing it to Thanksgiving? I can. I, I can. It's It's so easy to play. It's... You can paint a wall, you can add an object, you can take an object away, you can change an object type. And then you know your rules, and you just start yelling at people. <laughs> because I'll be bringing the game that I'm recording on. Is it Arc Nova? It's Micro Macro. Oh, uh, do it's you need the second set? Uh, it's, it's a joke. It's, uh, it is Arc Nova. <laughs> Mic- Micro Macro is in, still in the Amazon bag. Any, any questions about decorum? What would you rate it? Oh, so no, like, you- I said, like I said, I, 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 right now I'd rate it an 8. It's. I can't stop thinking about it. It's so much fun. I definitely want to play it some more. Uh, but I do only think it's going to go down in my estimation. It it might go up or stay the same if I grasp what all the rules could be. But in in another game that I really like, another another deduction game that is based on rules uh, is Cryptid. It lists out. On, on your player aid every type of rule it could be and decorum just doesn't have that or at least I haven't mm. seen it so that could cause some issues with with players not knowing like not knowing what their roommates could possibly want and seeing and seeing some of the rules that were passed around in that level two I was man, I was like man I was I would never have guessed that based on your rule thank you for sharing maybe you have to lose a few times on level two to get a sense <laughs> of what the rules could be mm-hmm. maybe maybe that's how it is but yeah i'm not gonna stop playing so i can't wait i can't wait to get it to the table again it's just like chicken soup for my board gamer soul <laughs> <laughs> nice 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 and this next section is game of the fortnight where we hold one board game above all others at least for the next two weeks. And the game of this Fortnite is Coop. I mean, Coo. <laughs> Coo is designed by Riki Tata and, dis- and published by um, Indie Boards and Cards. In Coo, players take on the... 
So this this comes from the BGG page specifically. In, in coup, players take on the head of a family in an Italian city-state in a city run by the weak and corrupt court. Now, if you buy the version that is readily available in America, you may not think it looks that Italian. Uh, maybe a bit futuristic. It, uh, it's Italian 2077. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you, you need to manipulate and bluff and bribe your way to power. Your object is to destroy the influence of other players represented by cards in front of them, represented by the character cards in front of them. And uh, if once you eliminate the cards from all other families, forcing them into exile, you win the game. In Coup, you can have one of five player powers in the original Coup. You can either have the Duke, which can take more money from the middle than any other player. You can have the Captain, which steals money from other players, but also blocks thievery. You could have the ambassador, which allows you to change which cards you have. You could have the assassin, which allows you to kill somebody for pretty cheap. And then you have the contessa that blocks that blocks an assassin. And there are a few other actions that you can take that any character can take, just like income, take one coin from the middle. Or you can do a coup, which is you pay seven coins and you just say, you, lose an influence card. Just flip one over, they're dead. And it's just a small, quick micro game that you can play over and over and over and over. What are your guys' thoughts on Coup? Well, the fun thing about it is that you don't have to have a character in order to take their action. Yes. This is a bluffing game at its heart. And so yeah. at the right moment, you can bluff and claim to have a duke on the first round like everyone else at the table is going to do and take three coins, but then later, once everyone else has claimed it, you might be like, mm, I'm gonna be honest now and just play my ambassador. So the key thing you left out, David, is you get dealt two cards at random that have these rolls on them. And these cards are face down in front of each of the players. So you don't know what rolls they have. And There are three copies of each. There's three Sorry. copies of each. You declare what action you're going to take. Either a standard action, like you said, which is just taking money from the center, or a specific role action. And someone is like, it's like, I have the Duke. And because I have the Duke, and you know, there's only three cards for the deck, and there's five players, and everybody's claiming to have a Duke. Something doesn't add up there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take this action. And then the people around the circle be like, now, I think you're full of bullcrap. I challenge you. And whether or not you have that card determines if you lose influence. If you have... and Influence are the cards you have. So you start with two cards that is two influence. And so, uh, the person's like, you don't have a duke. Well, if you can reveal a duke, then the person who is accusing you loses one of their cards. But if and, you and don't the interesting, have... And the interesting thing about losing a card is you flip a card face up. So everybody Correct. knows one of those three copies is right there. And it's going to remain right there for the rest of the game. Correct. Influence are cards that are face down. And the person who reveals their card discards it and draws a new one. So they... You know, it's like, everybody knows he has a duke. He's got to get something else. So... You can basically force somebody's hand that they can't... There are, there are cards that form better combos by having them. You know, you can, you're a little bit more safe. You can be a little bit more risky with the actions that you take based on the com combination that you get. I believe it's Duke and... Captain? Duke and Captain. Duke and Captain. Duke and Captain. And I like how a lot of the roles interact with each other. You can say that... As, like, someone can say, oh, I am the Duke, and I am... Because if you, someone's the Duke, they can counteract anyone who tries to collect foreign aid through the standard action. <laughs> so just I didn't even point. talk about the foreign aid standard action. Because, because it's so foolish. <laughs> nobody takes it, because yeah. somebody has a Duke. <laughs> somebody has you can take Duke. it once all the Dukes are eliminated, though. And someone claims to be the ambassador then someone can claim to be the captain and block the the captain mm -hmm. or no wait or is that the other way around i can't remember the other way around other way around 
Yeah. So if I try to steal from you with my captain, you can claim to have either a captain or an ambassador to block the steal. Perfect. There we go. Someone who actually remembers all the cards. <laughs> <laughs> I actually just played this like two weeks ago. <laughs> but yeah, the way that the cards interact is the game theory perfect. No. There are more optimal combinations. Does the uncertainty create fun situations? Yes, because the act of having to challenge someone is always interesting and can create funny or momentous occasions. It's also funny just to watch people claim to have one role and not get challenged. <laughs> claim a second role, not get challenged. Claim a third role, and at that <laughs> point you're just like, alright, uh, alright. Did he lie at the beginning? <laughs> Did he lie in the middle? <laughs> Is he lying now? <laughs> Has he always been lying? <laughs> Has he even looked at his cards? <laughs> Does he even know what he has? <laughs> I think I think one of the benefits of Coup is how quick it is. Games can be as short as five minutes. Just it, it's one of those games you play over and over and over and over and over again. Coup was wildly popular when I first got into the hobby in 2012. It was around that time that it first came out. And so we played it a lot back then. It was one of the first quick social deduction bluffing games that I got to play. And it was one of those things, kind of like you were saying about Decorum, David, about how it just stayed in your mind, how you were just thinking like, oh, I could have claimed to have the Contessa there, but then I would have been caught with the Ambassador. And like, just the, the way you can think about it in your mind, like it was one of those games you just wanted to play over and over back when it was new. I think another one of those, one of the benefits of it, you being able to play it over and over is those those moments Michael was talking about, those funny or interesting, fun moments of calling somebody on it, they happen more frequently because the game is so quick. Yes. Uh, and, and I was going to say, I think it's it's that reason why people latched onto it and played it over and over and over when it first came out. It is fun. It is fun. I think the other thing that's so interesting about it is that you can be doing really well, and if you're doing too well, everyone's going to try to eliminate you by assassinating you or performing a coup action on you. So you have to be, like, just the right amount of middling well to not be killed right out. <laughs> you don't want to stick your neck out too far. That actually brings me to my biggest problem with the game, and that is king-making. This game mm. is is a king-making nightmare. Now, king-making is when you get into a situation where you can't win, but you get to decide who wins. And it it's pretty easy to tell, like, oh, I'm not going to win, but uh, I guess I like this person better, so I'll just, I'll kill their opponent. Yeah. That's no. why I would only recommend, I would, that's why I would only recommend playing with friends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no voices of dissent. That's a uh, pretty pretty unanimous silence, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. I think if you are playing well, you are doing what is optimal for yourself to the best of your ability. Like there will be times where you have to come down to a 50-50 and and eliminate, you know, the second to last player and know that you're going to be eliminated by the other one who you keep in. Mm -hmm. But I'd say that's less common than than it is you know like i don't think it happens all that much and i'm just glad i was invited <laughs> i'm going to, i have to disagree jesse just because uh i played literally a hundred times before i won this game because it got to the what? point it got to the point where it was a it was a joke amongst our group like i'll oh, kill david he's he, we just can't let him win this game <laughs> so I'm playing optimally and it gets done oh we're, I got a king making decision well David can't win yeah, get rid of him <laughs> are we talking about playing with Josh and Joe In, anybody Josh Joe at work oh man it was <laughs> rough <laughs> Sean <laughs> shout out to Sean <laughs> uh, I think who is on BGA also isn't it I think it is I think it is I would not play it on BGA. I wouldn't either. It's not great with strangers. <laughs> I feel like I played it a few times on there when it first came out on there, and it was not not hard pass. Yeah, there are some about social deduction games and being at the table, looking at each other dead in the eye, and saying that I got a duke. 
when I definitely don't. <laughs> one of one of my absolute favorite moments that I just remember it sticks in my mind from this game. We were playing with college friends. Fred took a look at me and said, "I'm paying three coins. I'm assassinating David." I'm like, well, you can't assassinate me. I have a Contessa. I call your bluff. So I lost a card because one, he called my bluff, and then two. I lost my other card because this assassin went through and killed my other card. So I was immediately out of the game. He didn't have an assassin. All I had to do was call him out. <laughs> uh, and that's just, it's, those moments are what make Koo special. If you can, you can make a move like that, pull it off, it just shines. Yeah. Have, um, have either of you played Coup Rebellion, Coup Rebellion G54? Nope. Nope. And that is the rest of the world also. <laughs> it was a Kickstarter re-implement. Um, and I backed it. I own it. But it's only gotten to the table a couple times. It gives alternate roles. Like, there are other money-based roles. Like, instead of playing as the Duke, you might play as the financier or something like that. I don't remember what they're called. It sounded really cool in theory because it could make the game more replayable, maybe. But actually, it was much harder because then you had to learn all these new roles. And, like, it's so much harder to lie about what this role you've never played with does than about the Duke <laughs> that, that you played with 400 times. There's there's something special about the simplicity of five roles and only five roles. Mm-hmm. Yep. David, how do you feel about Koo? Do you give it the Board Game Famous Gold Star Award? I don't think I do, even though I rate it fairly highly. My biggest issue with it is that king-making problem that I think it, it's just an inherent problem with the game, and it's not fixable, really. It's just a part of the game. It's baked in. So that that brings the rating down for me a little bit. I'll probably put it at a 6 out of 10. But it's definitely one of those games. It's so quick. It's so easy. It's so cheap that you definitely got to try this one out at some point in your life. It's a ton of fun. So, Jesse, would you give it the board game famous gold star? I think that Koo is best in class for this type of game. It is the best light social deduction game with a bluffing component. I think it is super fun, super easy to learn, super replayable. I would probably give it a 7.5, and I would say that it deserves the gold star. Uh, Michael, would you give Koo the board game famous gold star of excellence? I, Michael of board game nominal fame would not give Koo a gold star award for reasons I don't understand. <laughs> but I would recommend this game. Fair enough. Fair enough. And without musical accompaniment, the next section is mail time. And this question comes from you know, kind of uh, uh, morphing of the discussion I had with someone earlier this week. And that is, what is the theme that you've always wanted to see in board games? Over to you, Jesse. You've played hundreds, thousands of board games <laughs> with multitudes of themes. Half of them about trains. What would you like to see as a theme? I mean, according to one of my friends, every game is a train game. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know i don't think i've ever seen a game that did education as a theme well like school like you are a student or you are a high school teacher or something and as a teacher i think that would be interesting to see but i've tried when i was like starting to think about Ooh, do i want to try dipping my toes in the game design world and i was like well, you should write what you know, right? I was like, I should make a game about school. And then I was like, never mind, that's boring and dumb. So maybe running then, if school is boring and dumb. <laughs> I also think it would be cool, like, I know this isn't a theme, but like an IP I would like to see as a really well done board game. I would love to see an American Horror Story board game that was really, really good. And or a Final Fantasy board game that was really good. Are there not any Final Fantasy board games? Not any that are good. That's a fair point. Fair point. <laughs> so, Michael, what's a theme you would like to see in um, the future of board games? You know, like you, 
one of the first things I thought about was my profession. And then I realized that I don't want to play a board game related to what I do in real life. (laughs) And for the listeners out there, I am a metal engineer. I work at a steel mill. So, you know, just a board gaming about steel making. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas that might sound interesting to other people. You know, imagine viticulture, but steel making. Uh, but no, I was thinking I like it as sports, and a lot of the sports have board games already. The easiest ones to simulate are those with races, so anything with cars, horses, bicycles. That is interesting. Then you have baseball. It's already covered by robots in the future, uh, in baseball, whatever that that game is called, and. <laughs> I try to keep I try to keep thinking back and forth about what sport could be interesting to play and I realize that it would have to be like some kind of regular sport but with like a weird twist on it. So baseball worked because you had super powerful people robots and androids and cyborgs. So something like that but with football. So football is like a slow and tactical game. I'm not talking about, oh my god, was it Blood something? Blood Bowl? Blood Bowl. Not something like Blood Bowl, but something more with like superheroes. Are you talking American football or like real football? You might be interested in the game coming out called Football Manager. Or maybe it's, uh, I think it just might be called Eleven now. It's talking about uh, managing a football team. Football. Soccer. And not American football. I, I can't think of a soccer board game. I think it would be interesting. I also do want to play Blood Bowl. I've never played before. And for those of you wondering where David is with his answer, my niece was a little fussy, so he had to step out of the room. So, unfortunately, he won't make it to the end of this episode. Yep. If you ask him at this exact minute, he's playing a game of parenthood. (laughs) Well, that brings us to the end of our podcast. If you want to contact us, you can email us at boardgamefamous at gmail.com. Want to see what we're playing or follow us on, you know, the Instagrams? we got a link below. Want to hang out with us in our Discord, talk to us, you know, play game games and, that we might organize? We got a Discord. Link below. See you next fortnight. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, y'all. <laughs>before you get into the game i'm gonna get off on a tangent friedman freeze is a weirdo he owns two f games pretty much all of his games start have like f in it two f's in it uh, he's german so the german for power grid is funkenschlag if <laughs> if there's a if there's a board game title with a bunch of f's in it it's friedman freeze <laughs> <laughs>